Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome back to a long-awaited return of uh, Rain Stop Play. Looking at our calendar, I think it's been exactly a month uh, since our last episode. So uh, thank you for patiently waiting while uh, a couple of us enjoyed a nice long uh, August holiday. Um, today I'm joined by Zach as Dan remains on holiday. He is still uh, gallivanting around the USA. We'll hear a lot more about that when he returns to the pod in a week or two. And Will, uh, to my knowledge, is busy finishing his uh, master's dissertation. So two very good reasons to be absent, but I'm delighted to be joined by Zach uh, today for a long-awaited catch-up, not just for us, but just to talk about cricket as well. We've already had a bit of a preamble talking about fantasy for 20 minutes because it's been so long since we've kind of hung out and chatted. But looking at the cricket now, Zach, um, how are you doing? How it's, it's good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good It's good to see you again, Glenn. Uh, yeah, you know, there's been lots and lots of cricket on us. There seems to always be. We have had a little bit of a, a pod a pod break, so we're, we're back fresher than ever. Absolutely. Yeah, we've broken the hiatus, and I, I think I've... I've got a bit of renewed energy i think we've got a lot of really really uh big stuff to talk about from test cricket uh, t20 um and a bit of the 100 as well so it should be a really exciting next 40 minutes or so um before we do dive into the professional cricket zach you know it is pretty customary at this point for us to start the pod with our own personal sporting exploits have you had any i know that you're um going to be moving um away pretty soon but have you had um any yeah, big final hurrah in Leeds playing cricket at all? I've got a game on Saturday, uh, so that will be my final game. I played over the bank holiday weekend. I played three games in three days, which was I played a game against some Afghan refugees, which was a good game. We uh, we won. We chased down their score of 150 of this at us. I, uh, Proper game. I scored 20, 21 from from 15 balls, I think, and then got caught out when we needed less than a runner ball. So, a you Milan know, so. innings. Darwin Milan innings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a bit, bit insulting, Glenn. The next day, we, uh, <laughs> next day I played a Saturday game uh, and I bowled eight overs, two for 12, which I was uh, very happy with, and then uh, scored 20-something, batting, batting at three, which is far too high for me, but um, scored 24 and we won. So, you know. Winning games. That's all, that's all it is, Glenn. Just winning games. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. And um, yeah, I, I do always like your modesty. I think Zach, when you're when you're talking about your cricketing exploits, you know, it sounds like you've you've um, had a really solid season. Would you say just before we get into the South Africa Test, um, would you say it's been your most consistent season since you kind of start? I guess restarted playing a couple of years ago. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I'm play- the, the annoying thing is, I think I have actually scored. A similar in Saturday cricket, I've scored a similar number of runs to last year, but I've played for the better teams this year. I've played against better teams, so it's you know it works out. And on a weekday in my in my LMS cricket, my twenty over cricket, 
I've scored the same amount of runs. My average is the same, but my strike rate is way better. Wow, look, there you go. There's a, uh, so we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. I, I would agree. A bit more aggressive and proving you're able to do it against better opponents. Good stuff. Um, for me, we finally uh, we finally won a game of uh, football, which is fantastic. The full season started two weeks ago, and we won our first game of the season 3-1, which was amazing. I think that was the first game in a year since I moved to Iowa that we've that my football team has won a game. So I was buzzing. Kept a clean sheet in the first half as well, which has never happened. Um, then last week, unfortunately, we did get beat about 5-3. But I'll tell you what, Zach, you know, I, I, I like a win when I'm on the pitch. It's not the be-all end. I'm not super competitive, but I enjoy, you know, it's fun to get a win. But this was actually a game. We did lose by a couple of goals, but the quality of the football was so good. Like, our team played so well it was I actually just had a really nice time they scored some absolute screamers as well I know I say that I've got an excuse every week it was a slippy ball it was in the top corner whatever but the opposition team and one of our players Dave who's another English bloke actually scored some cracking goals so it's nice to see us both enjoying our sport but enough of the amateurs let's let's get stuck into the uh into the pros that we're here to talk about um Zach we've um had a couple of test matches since we last spoke um obviously as everyone knows listening South Africa are currently in the midst um, of a tour of England with a very very strange long break between the second test and the third test which has been talked which has been spoken about a little bit um but it's been a series of extremes so far i think it's fair to say zach right so we've had two very lopsided games uh south africa um winning the first one by an innings and 12 runs um just a couple of weeks ago um in august uh which was yeah a pretty solid win for them surprising I, I it was quite nice that uh it's been quite fun i think for the captain dean elgar to bring a bit of chat to this series i've liked it it has come across potentially as a little bit um uh, you know as a little bit maybe pathetic's a bit strong but he's, he's he's really he's really brought in some of the kind of animosity that i think actually can really stir up some good cricket and he and you know um he um backed up his words with some actions um in the game and south africa obviously came away with the uh, innings win there and then we kind of flipped flipped the table i guess um for the for the second one with england this time winning by an innings uh, even more convincingly in 85 runs after they declared on 415 for 9 and then south Africa, uh were skittled out twice for under 200 runs so two very convincing wins um for each team uh there's only been three innings in each game so far so i really hope that the final test which we're going to get into in just a second will be a little bit tighter um but zach just give me some of your kind of i guess big picture takeaways so far from the series um as it as it stands right now it's been really competitive from my end um there's been some really good quality cricket clearly bowlers to some extent have been on top with um you know with the amount of wickets that have fallen so quickly um but for you watching it back home um what have been some of the kind of narratives that, that you think have been the most pressing that have emerged from this i think it's been it's been an electric series so far yeah it's been really good and we, we knew that we knew that it was going to be a different challenge. I think South Africa's bowling attack, the, the pace attack they had in the first test with uh, Nokia, Rabada, and Gidi and Janssen is is a very, very good pace attack. And we knew that it was going to be harder to play against South Africa, and it, it proved so immediately. I felt like a, uh, in England there was a lot of kind of comfort in England collapsing, which I think is such a weird English thing that we have that it was like, oh, we're bad again. Oh, thank God, we can we can all complain about how bad England are again. Like everyone was getting a bit worried that the test team was going to be good for a bit. But yeah, back in the, and then the second test, we looked good again. I think the, the main takeaway, I think, is that both both teams are pretty good bowling attacks and the batters aren't amazing. 
really big innings for Folks, really big ton, really big innings for Stokes as well, him to get a ton, his first ton as captain. On the day his documentary came out as well. Beat oh, me to it. Just <laughs> absolutely brilliant. The narratives, this bloke, you know, there's been a famous quote flying around that is, um, who writes, it's a, some, someone said this to Ian Botham back when he was at the peak of his powers, it was, who, who writes your scripts for you? And I thought that was it's so perfect for the day of him getting this ton. And yeah, it was really good to see. And he also, you know, he bowled, Stokes bowled really well. Like took a couple of really important wickets in that. South Africa were never really going to chase the total, or not chase the total. They were never going to really set England anything that was going to trouble them. But they were 140 for three at one point during their second innings. And they ended up getting, you know, Skittle for 179 with, you know, Verena staying in with a lot of people and, you know, no, no one sticking with him. But yeah, I think uh, Stokes got the kind of important wickets in that, that chase, got them to 150 for five. And then, you know, Robinson and Anderson came in. Again, Ollie Robinson looks very good, bowling a lot quicker. There was balls up at 85 miles an hour during that, which I think is really, really good to see. His pace didn't seem to be dropping off quite as much as well. So great to see he's back. Hopefully he's just sorted now and we can we can have a fit firing Ollie Robinson for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some great uh, points you picked out there, Zach. Um, let's stick with the batting just to get us started. Um, as we both agreed, I think it's been it's been a game where 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 ball has clearly been uh, on top of bat. But yeah, I, there's still been some standout performances. Um, you've touched on a few of them. I think back in the first game, Pope's um, 73 um, was um, great to see. I mean, I was really I was really glad to see him. Um, just just finally show i guess um what he can do at number three it feels like a bit of a poison chalice that position for england in recent years again we've talked about this before since maybe trot it's been a difficult spot to play we've tried route there we've moved him around we've tried others a succession of people who kind of start doing fine and then kind of drop off maybe milan being the last one who impressed there in the ashes and then really fell off so yeah he got a bit of a statement innings i think a shame he couldn't maybe convert that um into the 400 um but opening I, I you know we don't have to spend too much time on this it's a conversation that a lot of people have had including us multiple times um but the opening two again there wasn't really enough for me from the three innings we've seen that really convinced from either Lees or Crawley um yeah Zach you're shaking your head moving forward um obviously we have the game in a couple of days starting on Thursday I think it is this week which I'm really looking forward to it does feel like there's once again a huge amount of pressure on Crawley, which we know, but maybe a bit more on Lees as well, considering he hasn't really fired at his best. Um, what are we doing with the openers? I mean, where where are we at with them? It seems to be, uh, it's been a pretty disappointing series for them so far. I, I think I think neither of them are good enough to play test cricket. Simple as at this, at this point in time, neither of them are good enough to play test cricket. Zach Crawley is worse, but he got, he had that innings where he played a gritty 38, as everyone was calling it, and was getting praised for it. And also, in Rob Key's mind, he doesn't seem to be able to do any wrong. So, is he is he going to be dropped? No, apparently not, because he's got these. Uh, there was, I think Paul Collingwood said it. I think it was after the first test. He said he plays match-winning knocks, whereas the stats are actually he's only ever scored one 50-plus score when England have won a game. He's own and in that game he wasn't. He, he was like the third highest score. It was in it was in Johannesburg in that South Africa series back in. Uh, January 2020. So, you know, he doesn't play match-winning knocks. All of his good knocks are when we've drawn games. So he's he's good when people can't take wickets, basically. 
kind of it. He's not, he's not very good, pretty much, but he looks good. But he's yeah, he he needs to go. He needs to redefine. He needs to refine himself. He needs to have a couple of years in county cricket, scoring some runs because he's actually never done that. And there was always talk about that. And I I was on board with him, but he looked really good in the Ashes earlier this year. But he's just again not delivered his his the stats for how many tests he's had for how poor his record are are just amazing because they're so bad and he's top of all the records but the the problem with this is is of players to play as many innings as him he has the worst average for England I think only the third in the world but the second and third worst or at least in the bottom five for England overall this is in all tests ever to have played as many innings opening the batting obviously it does discount that he scored 260 batting at three but opening the batting in as many innings as him, the third and fourth are Sibley and Burns, who are the candidates to come back in. They've also had as many innings and have, have only done slightly better. And, you know, I, I know you're probably going to ask me moving forward, who do we go back to? And I do think Sibley and Burns are probably our best openers, which isn't isn't great to see. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, use of the stats there, Zach. Thank you. Because it has felt like there's been a bit of a disconnect for me, and I think a lot of English fans, between the narrative that Key and other people in the team kind of build around Crawley, that he's this kind of aggressive, kind of elegant, and to some extent he is both of those things, the way he plays when it comes off. Don't get me wrong, I, I don't dislike him. I think when he's when he's playing well, it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch. But there does seem to be a disconnect between maybe his impact on the team, right, Zach, the outcomes of those innings, how pivotal they've been to wins, and then the stats completely contradict that, right? So they're kind of framing him. You're just seeing this disconnect between how he's being framed and maybe sold, to the English fan base, to, you know, the, the setup. Oh, hey, hey, he is this match winner. And you've just, you know, done some brilliant work. And I'm glad you brought this up because you did put that in our in our group chat, I think, a couple of days ago. Um, You know, you've done the works and the stats just don't support that at all. So that's interesting. It does feel like he, he is kind of like, you know, the teacher's favourite in some way, right? He is just this golden boy that can do no wrong. And it's interesting. And we'll get onto the T20 squad uh, in due course, which I'm excited to talk about as well. It's interesting to see Jason Roy, uh, again, probably for the right reasons, we'll get onto this, you know, dropped when perhaps uh, I've seen a few comments say on, on BBC just this morning that, you know, does he not have more credit in the bank? You know, talking about what he's done, talk about being a match winner. Jason Roy has been that across formats for England, across one day formats for, for years and years. He's been absolutely sensational for us. Say what you will about his technique. So there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect and that the Crawley just has this kind of untouchable position within the setup, which I don't think, Zach. It's very healthy necessarily for a team if someone does keep consistently not performing and they feel like they're undroppable or they maybe I'm not trying to have a go at Crawley here personally, but it seems like they're undroppable. I don't think that really necessarily builds the kind of atmosphere within the team that you might want. Right. People are going to feel or people waiting in the wings. You simply burns are going to feel um, pretty frustrated by that. I think also uh, Mark Butcher put it really well when he was on comms in the first test. That it's actually not fair on Zach Crawley to just keep putting him out there when he Agreed. clearly can't do it. Like it's not Agreed. fair to him. Like we've played cricket. It's it's it can be fun when you're not getting runs if you never get runs. But there's no media pressure when we play. Whereas there's so much pressure and there's so much talk. He needs to just be taken out of the spotlight for a bit, have a chance to go back. He's still so young. He needs to just be have a chance to go back to county cricket. I think he's still only 24. So there's plenty of like he's got plenty of time to go back, have a couple of years, you know, playing cricket and get some runs on the board, and then he can come back and maybe he'll maybe he'll bat at three eventually, maybe he'll bat at five eventually, because I don't know, it doesn't seem like opening works for him at this point. 
Absolutely. And it feels like he was kind of, you know, fast tracked, kind of fast tracked into the England team. Obviously, got that absolutely stunning uh, double hundred. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he's just kind of run out. His technique has run out of road here. And honestly, Zach, I think we're both among a lot of people kind of tired of talking about this. Like, I don't want to criticize Crawley every single podcast. A, it's boring. And B, I feel bad because, yeah, he's clearly talented. But yeah, I agree with you. Maybe it's just not the right environment for him to be in right now. And he needs to work on that technique. So with that in mind, moving forward, the next te- the next test after the South Africa series, I know it's going to be Lees and Crawley, um, and to an extent, rightly so, because why change it third game? But moving forward beyond that, would you would you want to see both of them change just before we move on? Would you like to see that double change up top? I don't. I, I, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think potentially yes, but then it would need to be not. You're not going to have two people debuting on the same test. But I think the most likely thing is we go back to Sibley and Burns. But I just no, because no one else is really, no one's pulling up trees to open the batting for England. All of the kind of people who are getting touted, you know, we've had, we've obviously got Harry Brook, who we'll come on to in a minute because he looks set to debut. Ben Duckett's been added to the squad. They're not, they're not opening batters. They're not opening batters, and this has been an issue for England for again a long time. There's been, I saw it, there was a list of uh, 30 batters have have opened the batting for England since Strauss retired. I think it is, and. Just I saw I think it was an, uh, it was a wisdom article by uh, Ben Gardner. And he 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 ranked them all, which was it was really good, as as, as his pieces often are. Uh, we can we can link it under the pod. And he ranked all of them. It was like oh, there was so many people. I was just like bloody hell, they played for England. Oh God, remember them? It's just uh, Jason Roy. I always forget Jason Roy played that Ashes series. Yeah, and I've <laughs> seen him, and I've seen him open uh, for England, uh, and it was awful. Um, and Mark Stone and all these people that you just kind of forget ever existed, right? Just this kind of succession of players. And this this is the unfortunate thing because credit to those players clearly they're good enough Zach right to 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 in theory to, to they've worked so hard in county cricket to get that chance I don't want to you know knock the work and quality they do have but clearly what we haven't found is that consistently elite kind of top two batters um anyway let's just moving on from that um it's it's interesting um it's interesting if not slightly depressing stuff um we'll just stick with the batting for a second and look at the um look down the order so obviously we've got Pope Root Bairstow Stokes folks Folks and Stokes in the second test coming through with those sensational hundreds. Um, Pope got the, you know, 70, which I really hope he gets a good score in the next game as well. And Joe Root's Joe Root. No need to say anything more there. Whatever his form is, he's 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 the, he's one of, if not the best player in the world. Now, the gap that we're going to find for this next game, right, Zach, thanks to a slippy golf course is is the current, is the, oh, I'll come to you on the details in a second, is the kind of current um, uh, theory, we think. Um, Johnny Bairstow, the most informed player for England this summer, he has been outrageously good um, just all, all the way through, especially in this test team. He's really... He's probably been the person, I think, that has embodied this sense of basketball, right? Who's embodied this sense of, you know, aggressive, um, yet still just just quality, yet exciting test cricket, right? He is he is the man. He is the man this summer. And now he's slipped over. Not quite sure what the extent of the injury is. Could be a break. Um, we're not too sure. See if, if, if you know. But he's out. And not only is he out for the next test, which is, you know, sad onto itself. He is out. It's a serious injury. And he's going to miss the T20 World Cup as well. Uh, we will get there. But, Zach, just a very quick reaction. Do you know that the further details of what happened to Bairstow and who's going to come in to replace him this week for the third test? So so Dan, Dan's going to hate this because it's going to show up my lack of knowledge of golf. But supposedly he slipped whilst he was on his way to a tee box. I don't know what a tee box is. 
So sorry about that, Dan. But he slipped on his way to a tee box and has potentially broken his leg, which seems so just rogue and it's such a freak accident. And yeah, it's 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 mad and it's such a shame because like you say, it's it's been the summer of Bearstow, and you're so right. He has been he's he is basball. Him just smacking fours and it's just just smacking fours through the covers yep. just consistently going at basically a runner ball yeah it's been so good to see and he's just oh he looked so good in that new zealand series he, a little bit undone in this series by nokia's extra pace but you know it's pretty hard to face bowling that's consistently above 90 miles an hour i i, I presume everyone seems to say it's pretty hard uh, it is. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a big shame and he will be a big miss in the t20 world cup because you know, no. If you just said, if you just said to me a year ago, "Oh, we're not going to have Besto or Roy for the World Cup," I'd have been, I'd have been extremely worried and, and shocked as well. Absolutely. No, and we will get that. I'm really looking forward to this, to this, to this um, chat about the World Cup squad because, yeah, it's it, there's some kind of fundamental um, changes there. But um, yeah, just sticking with um, with with this game coming up. So Harry Brook, he seems to be seems to be the man to come in, right, Zach? Um, what you, what your initial feelings like? Uh, how has he been playing uh, for for maybe listeners, international listeners who don't know a huge amount about him? How has he been playing, you know, domestically the last couple of months? And do you think he's going to make a mark in the potentially quite limited opportunity he gets here in the Test team? What are you hoping for from him? Yeah, I think it's I think it's been a bit difficult for him because he's not he's not played a lot of cricket recently because he's been he's been twelve man basically he's been in the squad he's played a few hundred games he's obviously not played. Uh, he's not played a first-class game in a while, but, you know, is what it is. Neither had any of the South African players before they rocked up at Lords and, and battered us. So, you know, that's not always a, a thing to judge it on. But he's got, you know, nine, 967 runs across and only played eight games in the county championship this season. No one has played as fewer games as him in Div 1 and scored as many runs. So he's looked so good batting batting five. I think he's been batting for, for Yorkshire and just scoring at a really good rate as well. Proper like a proper kind of basball player. He's been scoring at around kind of 80 or 90 strike rate. And yeah, interesting to see Ben Duckett back in. He's come back into the squad, but presume we presume Hobrook will play and Ben Duckett obviously be kind of that extra kind of squad batter in case there's a in case there's an injury during the game or you know, so you can have sub him out. But yeah, interesting to see them both kind of in the fold. Both scored, both scored a lot of runs this year at a good strike rate, which is kind of what what they kind of seem to be wanting with under under Baz McCullum. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes. I hope he gets you know some runs. He looks really good, and he's been kind of next cab off the rank in all formats for a little while now. And I think we could see him playing for England in all three formats for for a long time to come. Yeah, that's a great point. That's what I was going to say, actually, Zach. Uh, Zach, really nice kind of overview, I think, there of um, of, of his ability. It, he strikes me as maybe a more. It's interesting. There's kind of two two parts to him here. I think he's quite a traditional uh, kind of, I guess, English cricketer in the sense that we're looking at him for all formats, which isn't necessarily something that we're doing with a lot of players now, um, right? I think about um, some of the Somerset boys, Will Smead especially, who just seems destined for. T20, 100, whatever else, limited overs, greatness. Whereas what I love about Harry Brook is, as you rightly articulated, he does it across the formats and he does it really well. So so he's this kind of, you know, classical cricketer in the sense that he seems up for all formats, seems to really care about the longer form of the game too, which I love. But at the same time, Zach, he's also a distinctly modern cricketer in the sense that He's, he fits into this kind of basball paradigm, right? He he really does. He plays aggressive cricket. He's, you know, he scores quickly. 
Um, I love that you brought that up. You know, he scores quickly in games, and he's quite an aggressive batsman, right? He 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 definitely isn't going to come up. I'd be so intrigued. I really hope he plays. It sounds like he will. He's not really going to come up, and I don't think maybe tone down his game for this series. I mean, I hope he doesn't because it's been so successful. And he was great even in my blast. I think fantasy team he had he scored loads of runs in the middle overs this year. So I'm excited. Um, I guess. Do you see him, final kind of thing on the middle order, then we'll get onto the boulders very quickly, but do you see him as being, um, you know, if he does well, not just in this game, obviously you can't judge anyone by two innings, but do you see him being part of this England setup in the long term? Do you see him as being the kind of, as you said, next cab off the rank, but you see him being like that person, if one of the middle order isn't really around, that he's going to be hopefully kind of ushered in to play that role? Yeah, I, th- I think there was before before folks got the ton. I think there was talk about giving Bairstow the gloves and bringing in Brooke. But I, I can understand obviously now Brooke, folks has got a hundred. That there's no reason to do that. You know, we, we do you do want your best wicket keeper? Folks is folks is a very good wicket keeper. Everyone everyone knows that. There's no doubt on that side of it. His batting was looking a little bit kind of not great because he's, he's not had a great, he's not had the best summer in between. Well, he, he has, he has had a very good summer now, but before that knock, it was just, I think, 150, which was uh, where he was uh, guided England over the line with Root in the first uh, first test of the summer, which looked good. But yeah, now he's got that 100 and he looked really good, just so solid that I think he's probably in for a little while to come. But yeah, I think, I think it's going to be like you say, Brooke is going to be, He's going to be the next man still for a little while, which is not a bad thing to have. England don't usually have that, to be fair. Like we said, we don't have it with the top three. We've got no one knocking on the door, but he has been he's been banging on that door. He's been banging that door down for, for a little while now. And like we said, in all formats, he's been doing that. And yeah, had a really good, in T20, had a really good PSL. You know, be interesting to see how, how he goes in all, in all formats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great stuff. And I'm really excited to see how he does and hopefully he does very well. Um, just briefly before we move on to the limited overs stuff, um, with obviously big news there. Um, looking at the bowlers, um, again, this I do apologize to uh, you know, South Africa and, and, and fans and listeners. That it's been quite England centric so far. I do want to note that their bowlers obviously have been fantastic. Rabada and Nokia, both equal top wicket takers so far in the series with nine each. It's some very nice averages of around the 20 mark. Um but with that, but with that said, obviously England's bowlers did a superb job in the second test, right, Zach? So um, Jimmy Anderson, seven wickets, an average of 16, uh, is is outrageous, really. You could say at his age to do it so consistently. Um, where's your kind of mind at with the with the English bowlers, right? I think they've it's it's great to see Ollie Robinson come back in, and as you said, he looks a little bit different. He looks fitter. He's, he said he's worked on his fitness. It's been a criticism unfortunately that's kind of dogged him i think throughout his his, his um england career um if he's fit I, i've never doubted his you know commitment passion and, 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 and quality um really for the team he's a very useful option to have obviously we've got broad and anderson you know in the twilight of their careers but still they're on merit they're not there as legacy players they're there because they are two of two of if not the two best bowlers we have right now right what have you kind of, has anything particularly stood out to you from this bowling attack? Maybe Jack Leach has looked good. I mean, he bowled 23 overs um, for just 26 runs, 13 maidens, an economy of 1.13. A critique of Leach early in his England career, Zach, was that he couldn't buy a maiden. He couldn't buy one. <laughs> he was he was milked no matter where he played. And let, let me say this, he wasn't helped by, by, by very poor captaincy and management. But it's been great to see 
uh, Stokes um, and Baz and everyone else kind of empower a few of the bowlers, especially Jack Leach, to say we back you. And they've shown people have responded positively um, to the to the kind of encouragement they've received. What are you thinking about this a bowling a bowling lineup? I mean, obviously we don't need to do the Anderson Broad thing again, but it feels unlikely that there's going to be much more of this in the coming years. Uh, yeah, what are your kind of takeaways from the bowling just before we move to the to the World Cup? I think I think Anderson could go on and on. He's, he's just does. He seems to get better and better. Anderson. I agree. I, I just I don't see where he's getting worse. I think Broad. I think we're we're probably coming to the end for Broad though. I, I he looks he just looks a bit off it. You know he, keep, he he takes the odd wicket, but he just doesn't look anywhere near as threatening this year. And you know he didn't take the new ball, which which Robinson took away from him, which when he then did bowl well because you know he he always has to have a bit of a a bit of something. I think he took a. You know, he took three wickets in the first in the first innings, not taking the new ball, which I think was the first time they'd, they'd not taken the new ball together when they played in a test together for something like you know, 10 years or something. So, yeah, it was big that they took it away from him. But Robinson looks very good. Uh, but I don't think if everyone's fit, Broad is in our top attack. But and everyone is never fit. But I would, I would rather have Anderson, uh, Robinson and... Wokes or Anderson Robinson and Archer, but these people are not fit. So these are hypotheticals. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Broad, to be fair to him, still has contributed with plenty of wickets across the two games. Um, he has he has still been getting wickets. But yeah, I think it's fair to say that Jimmy maybe looks the more consistently threatening um, out of the two of them. And yeah, again, I think this is this is the thing, right, Zach? This is a uh, an England team that just cannot keep our quickest bowlers fit. And we've talked about before. It's always a concern with um, Stokes's fitness. And you talked about how well he bowled. Um, uh, in that second test, which he did, he looked fantastic. Um, it's such a worry to England fans, right? Seeing, seeing, being so reliant on him to, you know, bounce teams out and stuff because we maybe lack that kind of extra bit of pace. Um, but yeah, interesting to see going forward. I hope, I hope Anderson um, and Broad can uh, stay fit for as long as possible and just keep providing England fans with just what has been a, a sensational career. I mean, they've both been just such incredible servants for the game, and it's great to see them still stand, you know, stand head and shoulders above potentially others as well. Um, right. I think we 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 kind of done as much as we uh, uh, can with the kind of South Africa uh, series so far. I'm really intrigued to see how the third test goes. We will be more focused on South Africa in our next podcast, which we're going to release with a, a slightly. Um, bigger overview i guess of the um of the three games together and really focus on some of the south african star performers i mean yeah with the bowl they've been great but with the bat they've been lacking a little bit i think it's fair to say um anyway let's move on to the um uh, to the t20 world cup squads right um so pesto's injury was announced literally hours after rob key said he was he was set to open in the world cup which was a bit of a nightmare for england uh, and leaves with a massive hole in the side as we touched on earlier rosak jason roy uh, who has been a pivotal member of England ODI and T20 uh, teams has just been in his form has flatlined. I think he went from kind of bad form to horrific form and just kind of kept tumbling. <laughs> so, and as Rob Key said, I think he was quite uh, he was quite honest about it, right? Fairly so. He was like, listen, it was one of the worst times for for Roy to have this run of form right before a major tournament. It feels silly picking him and putting him at number one, considering he's actually been a bit of a hindrance in recent games that we've seen by sl- starting off so slowly. So, with all that said, right, who's coming in for you? Who who is filling this void uh, at the top of the order for you, Zach? Well, so, so for me, when the when before before Rob Key said about Bearstow opening, I thought they would go Butler and 
Milan because Milan has been batting at three for England. I'm uh, has been well documented in this podcast. I'm not his biggest fan, but he's had a brilliant summer, brilliant hundred, top run score in the, in the men's hundred. So and he's been opening the batting in that. So why doesn't he step up? He'll open, he can open the batting, and then we'll have Stokes, who's come back in, who hasn't played a T20I in in a long time now, but he's I think he's very good. His record isn't the best, but I think he hasn't often batted in the place which is best for him, which I think is in the top three. And for England, that's been a place where there's, you know, we've got we've got a fair amount of options, well documented. But I don't think that is actually what they're going to go with now. I think they're probably going to plug Salt straight in because Salt was kind of the spare batter in the squad. They will plug Salt straight in and he will probably open with Butler. I think Milan will bat at three and Stokes will bat at four. The only issue this then brings is that if we have Moeen batting at five, which we could do, then that's a left-hand three, four, five. Leaves us a little bit susceptible to matchups. You know, people can just line up their left-handers, off-spinners, but there aren't that many good off-spinners in uh, in world cricket at the moment, so particularly in T20 cricket. So it's not too much of a worry. But yeah, I think the bowling is, the bowling is certainly more of a worry for England because, you know, Joffrey Archer did a post on uh, on Instagram that got us all, uh, got me in particular, saying, well, if Joffrey Archer's in this World Cup squad, we're emergency podding straight away. That's that's happening. We've got to get on. But yeah, he's not in the squad. Hopefully there's something soon about him coming back because, you know, a fully fit Joffrey Archer, it's what we need. It changes our team from being like, oh, you know, this is an all right team, probably not going to win the World Cup to, yeah, we're, we're, we're up there. We're probably one of the favourites. Well, yeah, he would he would transform the team. And just for listeners to uh, run through the England squad for the World Cup, um, if you, if you haven't heard, because uh, I want to just briefly before we uh, pause for our, the end of our first part, Zach, just just look at our bowling options too. But this squad that we've got right now: Butler, Josh Butler, Maureen Ali, Harry Brooks, Sam Curran, Chris Jordan, Liam Livingston, Darid Milan, Adil Rashid, Phil Salt, Ben Stokes, um, who hasn't played T20 for England for a while actually, um, Reese Topley, David Willey. Chris Wokes, Mark Woods, and then traveling reserves, Liam Dawson, Richard Gleeson, Tamal Mills. I think our, yeah, our, our fast bowling's looking, I mean, unless Mark Wood is back to his absolute feisty best, it's fair to say. It worries me a little bit. I think our bowling's a bit of a concern. How do you, how do you feel as that? Again, we'll preview the World Cup fully, but just just while we're looking at the squad, I don't think our quicks are particularly threatening, you could argue. What, what would you say? Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think Topley's had a really good summer. Is is he is 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 he world class or is he just having one of those summers? I'm undecided. I I think he's just probably having one of those summers that could continue into October. He didn't have the best time of it when he played a few games for the Melbourne Renegades in the Big Bash last year. But yeah, I, I think Topley's very good. Sam Curran's been bowling pretty well, even at the death for the Oval Invincibles, which is interesting. It's not something that you know he's ever thought of as being good at. I think he could play and bat at seven and be that kind of couple overs option. If you've got kind of Stokes, Moeen and Livingston in the top six, then you can have someone at seven who doesn't necessarily have to bowl four overs and can be kind of couple overs at the top. But yeah, I think at the death is the real issue because Chris Jordan has been pretty poor, looked better against South Africa. And like I think we've said previously on the podcast, he looks good when he bowls the more of a back of the length delivery rather than going for his Yorkers because, but these obviously only work at big grounds because if you've got back of a length and it's a small kind of square boundaries, it's still going to go. But Australia, the grounds are generally pretty big. So I, I think it could work. 
Mills only being a reserve is an interesting one because we've just got two pace bowlers and a and a, and a, and a like a you know a spinning all rounder as the reserves there. I think Mills, if he's fit, is is very good, but has been a little bit lacking in recent times. We are just missing missing a death bowler pretty much there. I think we've got kind of other bases covered. Markwood's pretty good through the middle, but again, at the death is 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 not the best. Absolutely. Great overview. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, I think you echo some of my concerns. I mean, yeah, and Richard Gleason's an interesting one. Um, we're going to briefly touch on the 100 towards the end of the pod, but it was it was a bit sad to see him, you know, not finishing it off for his team. And I, I guess, you know, a red flag, maybe he's a bit strong. Anything can happen in five balls. I mean, let alone, let, yeah, let alone six. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I really like Gleason. I think he's a cracking player. But to be honest, I don't I think he's in that very uncomfortable kind of middle ground between excellent domestically and probably just not quite cut out for the top of the top international game um so yeah i mean it's just zach honestly mate it's just the fitness of our bowlers is an ongoing concern across formats we cannot keep our best bowlers fit long enough um you talk about scheduling we can talk about the impact it has on the body for especially once you reach that threshold right i think we've talked about this before over a certain amount of uh, miles like when you're pushing into the 90s the damage that can do to your body is just so much more um think about mark wood and archer and and other players like that but yeah i'll be honest we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in this for now but i'm not hugely hugely expectant i think for this world cup i think it, it, it could be a tough one i do i do i do agree and, and we, we are going to come on to the asia cup in in part two so we will we will focus on those teams then i do think however there aren't that many good teams for, the, for this world cup no one no one looks particularly good australia could be all right. They had that's another bit of squad news that's come out since we last did a podcast is that they have announced their squad and Tim David is in it, which is is very exciting. I'm as listeners to the podcast will know I'm a big fan of Tim David. He's he's very very good at just you know whacking the ball pretty far. I think it, that addition will be will be interesting to see how they do it. Whether they do still play Steve Smith or whether they drop Steve Smith for him and they have kind of a, a finishing order of kind of stoyness well you know maxwell stoyness david wade at seven it's a pretty solid you know finishing batting lineup with with an informed david warner at the top and finch also not very good but yeah it'd be interesting to see how australia go you know they should probably be the favorites because they're at home you know they know no one knows conditions better than they do but yeah other than them no one else looks very good india will be good but no one else looks great i don't think Absolutely. Uh, yeah, a nice bit of optimism, I think, to to end uh, to end part one for the state of the international T20 game. We'll be talking about the Asia Cup um, and the hundred, which just wrapped up um, in in just a, in just a few moments um, after this break. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see how how teams like India may not be doing as well as it might be expected in the in, in the cup so far. So um, yeah, stick with us, and we'll be back to talk about all of that and a bit more in part two. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage – 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, welcome back to Rain Stop Play, our first podcast in exactly a month. It's been really enjoyable so far. Obviously, talked about England versus South Africa, touched on the uh, T20 World Cup squads. Um, and sticking with that format, right, Zach, before we conclude with the 100, which is a format unto itself, I guess, at this point. Um, the Asia Cup is uh, is currently ongoing. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about what's kind of happened so far. I, I am aware that the kind of format is a little bit a little bit maybe confusing to an extent as well. So, Zach, for listeners, I know a lot of our listeners will be very, very much secure in their Asia Cup knowledge. But just very briefly for, for, for folks who might not be um, following it so closely, you know, who's playing? How does it work? And the best question of all, who's looked good so far? So so the way, it work, the way it's worked is there are two group stages. There's six teams in it, India, Pakistan, Hong Kong, they were one group, and then Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh were the other group. So again, it's like every international cricket tournament. There's no draw for the groups. India and Pakistan always end up in the same group. No idea how that happens. So in this tournament, they could play each other three times because they both... They both beat Hong Kong, shockingly. Who knew they'd beat Hong Kong? Um, so they both went through to now it's in a Super Four stage where every team plays every team again. So they played each other again on Sunday, which was, of course, yesterday or two days ago when you're listening to this. And Pakistan actually chased down 181 in a really good chase. India looked really devoid of ideas, to be honest. And Virat Kohli's had a couple of innings where he's got runs, but has he got them quick enough? No, is the simple answer. And, you know, and people probably aren't going to like to hear that, but he hasn't he hasn't scored runs quick enough. And it's a consistent problem. And I think India India looked like luster. Pakistan don't look amazing either, but potentially they've gone they went for a slightly different direction with it. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether both those teams end up in the final, because they could play each other again in the final. That's how it works. The Super Fours, the top twos go through to the final. But yeah, this, this, the problem with this tournament is it's lacking uh, no Shaheen and no Bumrah. So there's kind of that, you know, that big kind of best quicks in the world are missing from this tournament. So it's kind of, you, you can judge India and India look look like luster. They look like luster at the death. But well, like, we, like we were saying earlier with England and Joffre Archer, you add Bumrah back in, it's a different story. Again, Pakistan don't look amazing, but you add Shaheen back in, it's a different story. The, the one team that's that's uh, been interesting to me is I thought Afghanistan looked really good in their first couple of games. They bowled Sri Lanka out really cheaply in their first game for 105 and then chased it down in 10.1 overs. Uh, Gerbaz scoring 40 from 18 balls. In their second game, they then kept Bangladesh to 127 for seven. Majib taking three for 16 from his four overs. So looking so good. Rashid Khan, you know, doing what Rashid Khan does. 
And they've also got uh, Fazal Haq, who so they, so they, in the World Cup it was they were really missing a fifth bowler. Basically, they had they had Majib, they had Rashid Khan, they had uh, the pacer Navino Haq, and they had Nabi as well. And then you know a couple of other options for a couple of, but they were missing Fazal Haq is a left armer, a left arm seamer, you know, not particularly quick, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. quick enough. So that's interesting to see how he goes and keeps going because that's that's another bowler. And obviously, again, he's only about twenty one. All the, all the Afghanistan players other than Mohammed Nabi seem to be about 21, 22. Majib looking absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I think Afghanistan looked pretty good. They did lose to Sri Lanka, however, the other day in their first Super 4 game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did, but they did, and they set Sri Lanka 175 to win and didn't manage to defend it, which isn't very Afghanistan-y. They usually, they usually don't go Can't for that many runs. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a bit of a worry. Rashid Khan going for 39 in his four overs is something that you just don't seem to ever see. So, mm-hmm. yeah, bit of a worry. Gerbaz did get 84 from 45 balls in that game, though, so he is looking very good with the bat. A couple of interesting games coming up in the next couple of days. I think Pakistan-Afghanistan on Wednesday is one I've I've already earmarked to be like, yeah, definitely want to try and try and watch a bit of that. Be interesting to see how that goes. And, yeah, the final is... It, it, it finishes this weekend, so it finishes on Sunday. So it's it's a really quick tournament. It's the the Asia Cup has historically been a fifty over tournament, but the last two now have been T Twenty tournaments, which is is the way of the world. Absolutely, that is a really interesting uh, note to kind of as we look maybe towards the hundred in just a moment. That's a really interesting um, point, Zach. I didn't. I yeah. I I guess I obviously have been aware of the tournament, but I wasn't aware that it had made that kind of format shift. And as you said, that's very much a product of uh, of wider trends, right? Talk about the, the Royal London One Day Cup being kind of relegated to a second tier competition domestically in England. Talk about players, you know, just just saying that they're not happy. We talked about this in the last podcast. Uh, you know, the, the one the one day game looks to be um, in a kind of state of purgatory right now. Um, that's great. And maybe Zach, you know, maybe. One, what's your kind of one or two takeaways that you think are going to really make an impact um, on the on the World Cup moving forward? Have you seen anything in the Asia Cup so far that's made you maybe rethink your predictions or, you know, there may be players emerging that seem like they're, they're going to be pivotal players in, in, in a couple of months time? I, I think it's worth caveating that the conditions are very different. The, so this point. is being played in the UAE, which we are... We are all a little bit fed up of, of cricket in the UAE, to be honest. We had, we had a hell of a lot of it during COVID. Understandably, you know, it was, it was it's a very good place for them to have bubbles. And this, this again, was a tournament that was last minute moved there. So nothing, nothing against the UAE. I just like seeing cricket in different places. This was meant to be in Sri Lanka, this tournament, but because of political unrest, was moved to the UAE. So, you know, fair enough. You had to move it somewhere. It's a good place to just be able to kind of, bam, last minute move a tournament to. But... I, I do want to see some cricket elsewhere, to be honest. Absolutely. <laughs> we felt like we've seen a lot of it in the last couple of years. But yeah, so that that's worth caveating any anything I kind of I kind of go on to say. Pakistan look look pretty decent, but Babrazam's in terrible form, so that could cause a problem. India's the really interesting one, because if they if they keep playing, that this is not necessarily what they're playing in the Asia Cup. But if they decide to play KL Rahul, Rohit Sharma, and Kohli in one side, I, I think they they're going to cost themselves. They're going to cost themselves the World Cup. They've got so much talent, but there's there's they do. the fact that there's there are question marks over whether Surya Kumar Yadav makes a team is is just absurd. 
fact that there's even question, I, I think he will play. There's no doubt about it. But the fact that it even gets talked about that there's potential he won't play is absurd. He gets into any team. I think him, he's probably the best T20 batter in the world right now. Him, Butler, Warner. But again, mm-hmm. Butler and Warner play, they open the batting, which is easier in T20 cricket. The ball's harder, the field's up. So Ukumi Adav comes in three, sometimes four, sometimes even five for India which is such a harder place to bat. And he just, he performs. He's so good. So I think with him, with him there, they can, they can win any game. But if those, if that top three are there, all, all playing their kind of nerdly innings, Kale Rahul had an absolute shocker against Hong Kong, scored at less than a runner ball for 40. And I'm sorry, Hong Kong, but you know, India should have battered Hong Kong. And, and they did, of course they did in the end, but that was basically because Syria Kumayadov came in and scored 68 from 26 balls because Kale Rahul had scored a less than a runnable 36, which is, yeah, it's causing, it's causing themselves problems that they don't need to have. They have such a depth of talent that they have better players than this. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And again, you know, going into a tournament and you see some teams kind of suffering from this, right? They got almost uh, an overabundance of talent, right? It's a it's a double-edged sword because you're going to be leaving players out who are match winners on their own right. And it actually, Zach, I guess it heaps the pressure on the players who are picked because they need to perform every game or they could be tumbling out. Um, yeah, really good stuff. Well, thank you for a quick chat on that. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really good tournament. It's a really fun one. I'm going to try and watch um, at the very least the final, but hopefully. Uh, another game or two leading up to that. And yeah, it is going to give us a bit of an indication, conditions aside, excellent caveat there, Zach, to see, you know, who's in form, what, what players are in form as we, as we kind of start building up to what should be a really entertaining World Cup um, after a bit of a damp squib. I think it's fair to say the last one, which I don't think many of us enjoyed at all. Okay, we are near, we're getting towards time, but um, uh, we do want to conclude the pod um, with a very, you know, kind of quick, um, chat about the hundred, which just finished its second um, season. Obviously, the only place it's played um, is uh, um, is the UK. Um, and yeah, it's it's just wrapped up over the over the weekend, just gone. Um, the Oval Invincibles um, in the women's hundred beat Southern Brave in a repeat of last year's final um, to win the second title ever and their second title. Uh, I think there's something to be said, Zach. We'll get onto in a second about well, are they maybe too good? Are these are these teams just just simply too strong with the Invincibles and Brave? Um, and then moving over to the men's hundred, which I think it's fair to say has been. It's probably um, lagging behind the women's in terms of maybe potentially arguably quality and in terms of names. Um, but in the 100 um, men's final, the Trent Rockets, thanks to a match winning knock from Lewis Gregory in the final five balls, beat the Manchester Originals. Um, it was low scoring, the game. It probably wasn't the centerpiece that the, you know, that the. Um, organizers promoters wanted there weren't that many boundaries scored actually especially sixes um but it was actually a thriller it went right down to the final set and i think sadly as i touched on earlier richard gleason probably would have backed himself with the ball um to win it for the manchester originals and uh lewis gregory obviously somerset um somerset player for zach and i uh did the business uh consecutive boundaries and made it look easy zach um you know 100 discourse has been is has been ongoing ever since obviously it was announced uh, a long time ago now we've just concluded the second 
tournament. It's it's worth reiterating. It's only the second time it's happened ever. Um, and yeah, I mean, just big picture stuff from me just to get the ball rolling. As I, I kind of mentioned there, it maybe feels like the women's hundred. It just seems like more of a complete package than the men's one. We can maybe talk about why that difference is uh, in just a few moments, especially a kind of absence of some really key players for the men's side of it. Um, I was reading just before we got on the pod, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, that it seems to be that attendance, in-person attendance, seem to be seem to go up a little bit from last year. There seem to be pretty good attendance figures and ticket sales, but um, people watching it on TV, uh, viewing figures dropped roughly, I think, 20% on last year, which is a which is a pretty big decrease. Um, and, you know, maybe what are the reasons for that? And I think what we were excited to talk about, Zach, right, is what does the 100 need to do? If it's here, we've got a TV deal for the next couple of years. If it is here to stay, right, what does it need to improve to become a better, I guess, product, to use the kind of jargon that the ECB would, uh, the ECB loves so much? Um, so, Zach, yeah, what are your kind of headlines from this tournament, just to conclude the part? Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's really difficult because the obvious thing for me that the, the 100 needs to do is it needs to be on the BBC every single day rather than the odd game, because I've had a few people who I, I know don't really watch cricket, including including my mum, who've, who've said to me, oh, I was watching the... Watching the watching the women's watching like watching the women's hundred the other uh, yesterday really enjoyed it and then she's like the next day she was like to me oh I what I can't watch the next game why is the next game not on not on the BBC and I was like oh yeah because they're just doing you know one a week I think it's they weren't helped by the BBC ended up with the BBC's games ended up not being good games they had a couple of dead rubbers at the end they had particularly they had a dead rubber that was on at the same time as man united playing liverpool which that is it's, it's kind of hard for you to plan for so i think that's that will have affected it there was a, there was a, there was a few dead rubbers at the end of the tournament because of just just some teams being bad which you can't really plan for when you do a draft tournament you do expect the kind of there to be more competitive games so it is tough but yeah i think if if Everyone wants it to be this a big thing that gets more people into cricket, which I think was kind of a lot of the aim. Then it needs to be on free-to-air TV, simple as, and you need to be on the BBC every day, and so people can follow the narrative of it. Yeah, I guess the kind of simple, not necessarily rebuttal to that point, but. I guess critique of 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 maybe this issue writ large is you know there should just be more free-to-air cricket across all formats especially the women's game right Zach on 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 BBC right yeah completely I think but there, there is then an issue with this because the a, a rebuttal to it would be that a lot of the women's games are put on YouTube for free but that's different you, you still have to search it out it, it's better it's better than nothing but it's not the same as it as you being able to a casual viewer who doesn't even doesn't know about it just putting their TV on and being like oh what should we watch this evening Oh, there's 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 cricket on. Oh, I, I like cricket, but you know I don't don't follow it that much. Let's stick it on. Oh, game on tomorrow is there. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll stick a bit of that on. You know, it makes a difference. And then, like you said, you can follow the narrative. But it's it is it's difficult. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think yeah, a really good point there, Zach. I think it's great that 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 it is reaching maybe some folks that that wouldn't usually be be tuning it especially people who who don't have your sky subscriptions who won't be on youtube kind of scouring out these you need to have that insider knowledge to find those games on youtube right no one's going to just kind of wander into them and it's a really good point um especially for the men's side of the game just for a moment um 
Barney Renee wrote a, a, a quite a funny piece uh, last Friday um, uh, for The Guardian titled Fire and Loathing, The Hundred and Its Pyrotechnics Will Strangle Cricket. Right. And his he kind of really zones in on the Welsh Fire uh, men's team who, who lost every single game um, this season, which was which was pitiful, to be honest, especially as I guess in theory, Zach. They're meant to be our team. Is that correct as a Somerset fan? They're, 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 they're meant to be our team. Um, really sad stuff. So I just want to I just want to read off a, a quick quote from it, which I found very, very uh, entertaining. So he said, quote, Welsh fire is still basically just a name, some clothing, some words on the Internet. Losing eight from eight is uh, Welsh fire men's hundred teams most convincing claim to any kind of actual life. Could this be the most grippingly pointless sporting entity ever created in this country? Here we have a losing machine in a space where losing doesn't matter, but where it must be broadcast to the nation eight times in 29 days by a cult-like TV commentary crew willing to pretend energetically that Welsh fire losing has any objective meaning. And that's and that's the quote. I just just really enjoyed. He's, he's a good writer, but I, I really enjoyed um you know, the, 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 the kind of critique there, I guess, in, in a way, the same way that you can critique, I guess, American sports, whereby it doesn't really matter if your franchise loses. You can actually gain from it if you obviously if you get higher draft picks, don't have to get into the nuance there. But Welsh Fire losing eight games on its merits isn't very good, right, Zach, for, you know, maybe the balance of the tournament. And we can bring this into the women's side, too, with the same two teams being in the final in consecutive years. How do you think they can, could or should fix this imbalance between teams who are either doing brilliantly or who no team should lose eight games in a row? Of, <laughs> it's just pathetic, really. Where do you think that can be fixed moving forward? Because that can create more dead rubbers, which feels like a real issue, especially if they're the ones being broadcast on BBC. Yeah, I think the key thing that it is something that is being solved in part next year. So there's going to be a special window for the 100 for three weeks. So... England's test players or England's best players will all be able to play because the Welsh fire, if you add Johnny Bairstow into their batting lineup, don't lose eight games. You know, Johnny Bairstow probably on his own wins them two of those games and potentially, you know, potentially if they get a bit luckier with, they've they've been a bit unlucky with some overseas um, kind of availability. They had Nazim Shah for a couple of games, but, you know, Asia Cup being on, and they've and there's also been a lot of players who who've now gone to the CPL and have been picked up because they were initially they weren't initially picked up in the hundred they were only replacements they've chosen to go to the CPL above staying at the hundred so for example Tabrez Shamsi could have played in the final for the Trent Rockets but chose to go to a CPL franchise for the start of the CPL so that's something they need to do moving forward as well as having the specialist window which I think for the tournament as a whole is a good thing. They need to be. They need to kind of discuss this with other boards. You know, they need it, it needs to not cross over the CPL. It or if it does, they need to they need to have some some sort of system in place. And they also need to kind of, you know, it's unlucky there's an Asia Cup this this year. There's not an Asia Cup every year. That's kind of taken out a lot of players. There's a lot. There was a lot of Pakistani players in the tournament. A few, a few um, you know, Rashid Khan was there from Afghanistan. Um, Hasaranga as well. You know. These are some of the best players in the world. I think that's what's been missing from the men's tournament is you've not had the best overseas talent playing the whole tournament or at least playing a, a big chunk of the tournament. And that's something you have had for the women. You know, we've had for the Southern Brave, okay, Amanda J. Wellington can't get in the Australia women's side, but she is one of the best players, which she is one of the best spinners in the world. Oval Invincibles have got uh, Dane van Niekerk, they've got Shabnan Ismail, We've had, you know, Laura Wolvard has been the top run scorer for the 
for the women's side. This, these are these are some of the biggest names in women's cricket. You know, Beth Mooney, all, all of the kind of big Australian players, mostly. You know, apart from you know, Meg Lanning, who's who's having a break from cricket, completely understandably, they are all playing. So, and that, you know, brings into it the best England players are playing. You know, you've got Alice Capsey playing with playing with Danny Van Niekerk at, at Oval Invincibles, and that's what you want to see. Um, cool. All right. Well, we are kind of over time, I guess. It's been there's been loads for us to catch up on. I've really enjoyed chatting. Um, yeah. Thank you to everyone for listening to our kind of comeback pod, our kind of post-holiday catch up. Um, as we touched on, I think our next pod most likely, unless Zach, there's an emergency pod of some kind, i.e., Archer, uh, you know, appears. Uh, Archer plays the test on Thursday. We might have to do a, a podcast for that. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to do a, a much kind of bigger review of the summer, probably some awards, some highs and lows one of those really kind of fun uh silly pods that's probably gonna be our next one in a couple of weeks when um dan is back from the u.s we'll get a full rainstop playhouse um for that um but until then oh zach you got something no just just as well as that look forward to our our uh, t20 world cup podcast we'll be back we're going to be talking about those associate nations that we we really enjoyed covering last year and we're gonna we're gonna do that all over again Absolutely. I think the Minnows pod uh, was probably collectively our favorite one ever. And um, that was that was a lot of fun. So looking forward to that. So lots of big content coming up soon. Loads of really exciting things to look forward to and a lot of great cricket to enjoy. So, yeah, Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Glenn. Um, appreciate it. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you soon for a big Rainstop Play summer review. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.